0: I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show, because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct.
1: What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. And today we're going to talk some Jared Vanderbilt, uh, D- there's something that's been nagging at me since the end of the playoffs in the series against Denver specifically, which was that it felt like we were in a different weight class than Denver was. It was like watching a good middleweight fight a good heavyweight. You can be a good middleweight, but you're going to lose to the good heavyweight every every time. And it's easy to kind of center that conversation around the center position, the five spot, right? Um, but for me, it was it's more of a perimeter type of thing. And this is where Jared Vanderbilt's ability to stay on the floor, I think, really comes into the center of the discussion. If you look at each playoff series, Vanderbilt's minutes went down from the first game to the final game. So against Memphis, in the first game, he played 23 minutes and 21 seconds. And in the final game, that was down to 15 minutes and 17 seconds. So about one shift, eight minutes off of of his time to start the series. To start the Golden State series, game one, 25 minutes and 47 seconds of playing time game six, three minutes and 57 seconds. Same thing is true in the Denver series. He he played 10 minutes and 12 seconds. Remember, Dennis Schroeder started game one and we got our butts kicked by going small. Uh, Vando got 10 minutes and 12 seconds off the bench. That bumped up to 1648 the following game, back down to 1334. And then in game four, he got his only DNP, did not play, of the playoffs. And so he is a crucial swing player for us. I think D and his ability to stay on the floor, I think is very much dictated by his offense and his offensive fit. Um, and so I'd love to talk about Vando today. Cause he's a guy that, as we said, when we traded for him, he had a nearly a hundred percent approval rating. Everyone loves him. You know, he's a guy that in post game press conferences, LeBron and AD are, he's like that one guy on the crew that everyone kind of talks like, uh, and has this very, like, uh, he has a, a great personality that I think is very Very much draws people in, including the stars. Great guy to have around, but that's the paradox of him. This is the second year in a row where he's been kind of played off the floor in the playoffs. So, where are you at on Jared Vanderbilt and his fit with this team?
2: I really like Vanderbilt for this team. I think his defensive tenacity and his low usage, sort of like glue guy screen, like offensive glass attacking. Um, offensive style I think is a critical piece within the roster construct that that the Lakers have I think diving too deep into the idea of his playoff utility as if the Lakers are only going to play 20 games this season and all of them are going to be playoff games like I think that that's that that's a mistake. I'm not saying that you're doing that, but I think that we can too easily focus on like what the end goal is and not necessarily what steps you have to take. Yeah, because if you don't take those steps along the way, you're not going to get to the end goal in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. The Lakers should know that better than most teams mm-hmm. because they basically stumbled around for a good quarter of the season to to start the year and spent the rest of the year trying to navigate their way to a place where they could be put in a position to m- make a playoff run. And I thought. Vanderbilt was a critical piece of that. He's also a guy who prides himself on playing and even when he gets banged up, he's going to fight through it. Like tweak an ankle, fall down, ride around on the ground for a minute, like he's going to get back up and he's going to try to push through. Guys like that, I think, are integral to the mindset of a team that wants to win. It's no coincidence that The exact style that he played when he was on other teams like Minnesota and Utah, those exact traits were lacking on the Lakers, and he seemed to kick the Lakers' butt almost every single time that the Lakers played one of his teams. Was he the go-to guy or the reason why those teams won? No, but— he was he was a key piece in the identity of those rosters and why they were giving the Lakers problems.
1: Bro, we'd get killed in those games on the offensive boards, meaning when Vando's team was on the offensive glass. We just could not box him out, and it was like him and McDaniels. And so that energy and that size and athleticism, that's part of the reason why, D, I feel he's such a swing player is that he brings so much of that to the table that if he gets played off the floor in the playoffs, you lose so much about what kind of the identity of your team Is And there isn't another guy that's kind of around his size and level of athleticism on our team that does what he does.
2: I also think that it's an interesting conversation because Vanderbilt is a dependent player, right? He's not a star. He's definitely a role player. But the type of role player that he is is one that slots into many different types of lineups but still needs very specific types of skills around him in order to allow those lineups to thrive. And we saw that some when LeBron was injured and the Lakers were going small around right. Vando and AD, and those groups didn't have enough physicality on the perimeter and left Vando sort of as like the piece next to AD who had to battle on the interior yeah. without a lot of
1: support from the perimeter. That's one of the things we learned about him this year, Do you? I thought, was that he's- A perimeter player defensively, right? Like he can do some things on the interior, but what's special about him is at his size and length, the ability to be like, go guard that guy. And that guy could be John Morant or it could be Brandon Ingram. And that's a great span of guys to be able to defend.
2: Yeah. And we'll get into this a little bit later, but it's why as much as we talked about what Vando's fit would be offensively and the idea of like being played off the floor, as you were saying, the group he probably fits best with is the starting group even if that doesn't necessarily optimize the rest of the starters he's going to do things that no one else in that starting group can actually do at Mm -hmm. an elite level Mm -hmm. which is defend one through three and slot lebron And AD in certain ways defensively that allow Vando to take on a heavier lift, right? And so we'll get to that a little bit more in a little bit. But I think he's an extremely valuable player to this specific Lakers roster. And turning his regular season utility into postseason utility is as much of an individual question on Vanderbilt's adaptability as it is coaching, as it is matchups. Right, For and sure. so you talked about how his utility diminished over the course of series, uh, or as a series advanced, but it did so as well as the playoffs advanced, mostly because the Lakers matchups went away from Vando. Right, and so he can guard a Ja Morant, he can guard a Jamal Murray, but in reality, what you want him on are those. Perimeter ball handling threats who are in between 6'5 and 6'8, yep. 6'9. Six, six, Booker, who are like Yeah, Booker, Ingram, like, we'll see what his utility could be against a Kevin Durant, right? But, like, a James Harden or, like, these bigger dudes who give
1: guards problems— Defensively? Yeah, the guards are too small to stop them, but they can have some issues against a rangy guy like Vando. And then Wings, who are built to
2: destroy almost every sort of defender. Well, guess what? Here is a 6'8 guy who moves his feet, who wants to fight over screens, who has good length, who has good, good hands, and is tenacious with his motor. Like, that's the sort of dude where you're just like, okay, well, like, I'm built to guard those guys, right? And so I would like to see Vanderbilt in. Like no one wants to see Kawhi Leonard over seven games. Right. But I would be like, okay, well, can you put Vanderbilt on him or Paul George for an extended stretch? If you have to play the Suns, can you put him on Devin Booker or on Kevin Durant for an extended stretch? If you play if you play like New Orleans. Right. Can you put him on B.I.? Like. Even against Dallas, against Luka, none of those guys were the players who the Lakers actually faced in the playoffs. Instead, they faced a John Morant team. They faced a Steph Curry team. Then after that, they faced a Nikola Jokic-Jamal Murray team where the formation of the roster, and I'm not going to put this on D'Lo, but D'Lo's presence in those lineups where it functionally takes certain players off of the table in terms of who can be defended across the floor because you have to slot Delo
1: appropriately. That's right. He's not going to be your point of attack guard, which is often the case from a point guard, right? So you got to kind of account for that.
2: So then Vanderbilt has to be slotted appropriately around him. And this is why it's, it's an interesting discussion around Vando and, and, it's why I keep coming back to the idea of he's like a dependent player on what the lineup structure is around him. Because I think offensively, those types of players, um, the Delos, the Austin Reeves, I'll be interested to see like Gabe Vincent, right? Yes. Like those sort of offensive threats can help put Vando in better positions to, to succeed because he's not going to have to do so much offensively. But defensively, they also slot him in ways where, okay, well, can you actually defend these other dudes? So Vando's utility is more like, I don't have to be on the point guard. Right. That's where I think that he's going to be best is when the variety of players that he actually can defend is not so, well, we have to do it this way. In order to use you, because I would have liked to have been able to see like Vanderbilt be on Aaron Gordon for example. Oh, for sure. For like a longer stretch, or even chase around Michael Porter Jr. for a little bit. But that wasn't in the Lakers bag because they had to deploy D'Angelo Russell a certain way, which meant Austin Reeves needed to then be deployed a certain way, which meant right? And so you often start your defense, not necessarily where your strength is, but where do you feel Comfort like the your weak weakness link. is and yeah, then plan right. around that yep. when we're in the playoffs. But that's a different conversation between the regular season stuff. And so I'm wondering where your mindset is around regular season versus postseason and finding that bridge, because I think that's the important part of the discussion around Vando as much as anything
1: else. Very much so. And that's why... I I hear you on the steps in getting there, the point that you made earlier, but I also, and this is something that I thought we faced, and this was inevitable because the team came together with like 25 games left in the regular season, in that you don't really know who you are, and so what I want to avoid, D, is the situation where like, Vando works great all throughout the regular season, we win 50 plus games, right, the team's good, we got a strong seed, and then... In the playoffs, you're doing something new, something that you haven't done all season right now. That is something that having 82 games on top of a very high stakes, 25 plus playoffs, we are going to know who we are way better at the end of this season than we did at the end of last season. But I do think that there that's part of. What happens in every NBA playoff series is a team kind of gets broken down. The team that ends up losing the series ends up get broke getting broken down. And you see them doing more and more things that they don't want to do, lineups they don't want to play to try to address the problems and and do all that. And so that was one thing, like with your point about how our playoff schedule broke with Vando in particular and who he was guarding is a really good one in that I think there's a distinction between Vando guarding perimeter players on the ball versus off of it. And so specifically with the ability to kind of run off of screens, like uh, I I didn't think he did a great job on Jamal Murray. Now, when he was one-on-one, like Murray has the ball, Vando's across from him. Vando's really good at that. But Vando can kind of, what, what you'll see teams do is put those guys off of the ball and then it's like I'm going to fake going up top and then back cut. And because you're so big and so much bigger than me, your weight's going to lean forward and sure. I'm going to beat you based off of that. And so the fact that Vando is such a versatile perimeter defender on the ball is – found money in a lot of ways in terms of what I was expecting as this kind of four or five dirty work guy. And he is that, especially on offense, but defensively, I think him on the ball and having those guys that like that dude's going to have the ball, like a John Morant is a different thing than chasing a Steph, chasing a Jamal sure. Murray. Right. And so that fit and finding that bridge during the regular season to me, D is so much about lineups. And that's where I want to disagree with you on, on one thing on the, him his best fit being with the starters i would like to at least see him more with bench groups this season have it be something that we we try out because i think one of the things that is harmful and memphis had a similar front court in this respect in terms of not having shooters with steven adams and jackson obviously obviously can hit some but they didn't have great spacing right with brooks and john all that is that if it's more my concern on offense is the collection of Vando and LeBron's jump shooting and AD's jump shooting, right? Where if you have all three of them on the floor at the same time, I think your offense can be kind of clogged up in ways that if it's those groups in the middle and it's just LeBron on the floor or it's just AD on the floor, is that something that Vando can fit in those groups better? Because this year, unlike previous seasons, Vando is the only perimeter player in our projected rotation who isn't a pretty good jump shooter. That's new, right? That's something that hasn't been true of the Lakers the last couple of years. And so if it's just one guy out there that's like that, that all of a sudden you have, like, I think you can – adjust for it in ways that can keep him on the court so that's one of the kind of optimistic sides i see from this d is that like with the improved jump shooting going from dennis to gabe vincent from troy brown jr to torian prince those types of things can vando find you know plays where it's just like oh well you're gonna sag off me this is gonna flow right into a handoff with gabe vincent and all of a sudden he's open for three so let's take a break when we come back we'll keep talking vando
2: Yeah, so I think you're disagreeing with me, but also making an underlying point that I didn't necessarily speak to about dependency, right? Mm. And so when I was talking about dependency, I'm talking about the places where Vando is deficient and he's going to need his teammates to uplift him. So, yeah, I'd be concerned about LeBron and Vando is jump shooting and having jump shooting issues or having all three of them, LeBron, Vando and Anthony Davis having jump shooting issues. Well, guess what? LeBron James is one of the top 10 players in the world. Anthony Davis is one of the top. 10 players in the world. I've seen them make a boatload of jump shots <laughs> yes. when it actually matters. And so sure. when if it's I'm not talking Vando about
1: but one of them have a good season as jump shooters, that might totally change the equation. Yeah, that's what I'm asking those players to do.
2: Right. It's like, yeah, if you want to talk about Vando getting played off the floor, part of the reason is because some of these other players aren't doing the things that they're capable of doing. Not necessarily is a strength of their game, but what they're capable of doing. And so you're looking then for players to fill in the gaps in other ways in Mm -hmm. order to compensate for that. And it's why earlier in the season, last year, it's like, oh, well, here's lineups with Matt Ryan in them. Yeah, just trying to find a way to get some spacing on the floor. Just like, oh, can somebody make a jump shot? (laughs) We're paying all of these dudes. Yeah. Right. But here's the guy on a two way or a non guaranteed deal who was a training camp nobody. And now he's getting real minutes. He's getting real minutes because Pat Beverly was making one out of every eight attempts from three <laughs> that, he, that he was shooting. And uh, it's like we a, laugh about it, advice. but it's, that was the truth. And it was the truth for Troy Brown. It was the truth for Lonnie Walker. It was the truth for Austin Reeves. It was true for Russell Westbrook. On down uh, LeBron James, Anthony Davis. No one could make a jump shot. No one, right? And so specifically, I'm looking at the front court players and being like, look, you want this dude to chase around all of the guys that you don't want to have to chase around? Help me help you. Make... 38% 38% of your three pointers, like 37% don't be a 29% three point shooter for 40 games. It's an interesting equation to me because yeah, I'm with you. If the Lakers front court players, LeBron and AD specifically shoot as poorly and at the volume that they do. So AD's not taking any threes. Right. He's not even a threat out there anymore. Yeah. Right. And LeBron is shooting a lot of them, but making 30% of them, that's wrong. For this team, LeBron, sure, keep your volume up in the anywhere between five and a half and seven threes a game, but that percentage needs to climb to 35 or 36%. Like it needs to be around what his career averages are, or at least the latter part of his career averages. And Anthony Davis, I'll write about this eventually Um, so I don't want to spill the beans too much on my whole idea, but AD needs to go back to shooting in between two to three and a half threes a game. He just does. It needs to be a part of his arsenal. Efficiency be damned. Yep. Right? And so in bringing this back to Vando, those players being effective jump shooters is going to allow him to do other things. I also think, too, that I'll be super interested to see what the Lakers big man rotation actually looks like. And if Vando can be a player who is surrounded by enough shooting and or usage offensively from the front court positions that he can basically be a perimeter guy offensively while being a big, I'm sorry, being a perimeter guy defensively while being a big offensively. Right. And the thing is, man, is Vando's got a... He's got a regular season offense game in that he's allowed to do a lot of things offensively, like grab and go, like play, mm-hmm. handle the ball a little bit more. Where in the playoffs, fewer and fewer players get to touch the ball in that way in general. And so some of his utility is bringing the ball up and then having that flow into like a dribble hand and off or. Action being run with wide pin downs after Vando brought the ball up, and it's at like a natural trail position flow, right where that flows into to actions. Those are things where in the playoffs, those naturally get taken out of your diet because you're looking for the most efficient offensive set up in general, and that's most likely going to start with the ball in LeBron James's hands or the ball in in Anthony Davis's hands very early in the shot clock. And so there's stuff like that too, where again, I'm looking for the bridge between Vando's regular season game and postseason game because I think he's going to be important in the postseason if the matchups go a certain way.
1: That's one of the things, if we could zoom out to kind of the broader team in general And like, what's the purpose of the regular season? Obviously you want to have the best record possible, get the highest seed and all of that. And I think a lot of it though with this group is that it's still a new group and we should be trying things, right? This, it should be something that there should be different looks. Like you don't want to be in this, constant, uh, turnover the way that we were for a couple of years. Right. And, and injuries always have their say in this sort of whatever your plans are for the regular season. Right. They can be laid awry by, by that sort of thing. Um, but ultimately I think that figuring out what the best spots for Vando are, um, I, and I think you touched on this D is that like that, He has more of a helter-skelter type of game, that grab-and-go. He causes chaos, and sometimes it's positive chaos, sometimes it's not. But And to me, that is much more of a a bench unit type of game, and that's typically kind of where he's played for much of his career. And so I'm super curious where we end up landing on that idea of if he's a starter or if he's a bench guy, because I think that we should be trying a couple of different things with him. I'd like to see him start.
2: I'd also like to see him be one of the first players who comes out. Being one of the first players who comes out is what's going to facilitate him being with more bench players. One of the reasons why I like him as a starter is because the fit
1: of him as a perimeter defender, I think, suits LeBron. It also suits our backcourt players. Like to your point about D'Lo earlier, right? Like Austin's at his best defensively when he's chasing. He can be your point of attack guy, the guy that's guarding the ball handler, but he's best chasing guys off of screens and whatnot. And so defensively, it kind of slots everybody into more appropriate roles in the backcourt, just as it does with the Stars.
2: Yeah. Like, I mean, we had that pod, like old faces, new places pod, right? And we talked some about the Suns. We talk, we've we talked about the Clippers. We've talked about the Warriors. We talked about Denver. The West is a brutal environment for perimeter players mm-hmm. defensively. Mm-hmm. And against the Suns, do you want to play? Like, I know that your mileage will vary in talking to you about how much we should respect the Suns as an overall team. Oh, we should respect them. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. No, but I'm saying in terms of like, what their defensive side is. But the For point sure. I was going to make is like offensively, they project to be a ridiculous team. Yeah. Total, like totally ridiculous. Do you want to face a Suns team with Bradley Beal and Devin Booker and Kevin Durant as like chief ball handlers and then be like, yeah, let's bring Vando off the bench against this team. Do you want to try to figure out who's going to guard Luka Doncic out of the – projected trio of Rui Hachimura, Austin Reeves, and (laughs) D'Angelo Russell? Yep. The same thing with the Clippers. Do you want to go into a matchup with the Clippers with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and be like, yeah, Vando's off the bench this time, or a game against C.J. McCollum and Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram and be like,
1: yep, So let's start with Vando on the bench against this group. I'm feeling your point, but some devil's advocate- do you do you want to go through a whole regular season of having Vando handle those obvious jobs and him being the obvious guy and then figuring out what to do come playoff time when Vando can't stay on the floor? You know what I'm saying? I get the point. And this is why in an ideal world, you have someone
2: who combines some traits that jared vanderbilt brings defensively with some of the traits d'angelo russell brings offensively and like <laughs> boom look here's your starting that's a, small forward that's 35 for the million dollar player yeah that's exactly the point yep though right is the lakers have built out a roster as a two max team and i think that they've done very well to fill in the gaps around their two max players with mid to mid high salary role players and Anywhere between two and four viable, like guys who are on rookie scale caliber deals in between who make in between the minimum and six million dollars a year. Right. And it's a good mix of players. Amongst role players, you're rarely going to find a guy that can do everything well and is going to. And it's why you mostly then look back to the superstars about, well, look, man. Yeah. There's a reason why you make $50 million a season. We need you to do X, Y, and Z. The fact of the matter is, is that over the course of his career, LeBron James has been the epitome of a high level two way talent who is both a 82 game player and a 16 game player and the guy who is the focal point of the game plan on both sides of the floor. You don't find those guys very often at all. Right, And AD has been a similar type of, of player, but LeBron has been even better than that because he's been both a guy who you could say, you're going to do big man things on one possession, guard things on another possession, and you're going to do big man things and guard things on the same possession, and there is no plan for you. Oh yeah. And you're going to be a wing defender
1: <laughs> on the other hand. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just
2: saying like, you're going to do everything on the yeah. basketball court at any given time. Right. And you're going to cover for your like the, ultimate version of Lamar Odom.
1: What We used to talk about them as skeleton keys, right? LeBron and AD. And this is something that's been on my mind lately, is that as LeBron gets older, as AD gets older, they have fewer and fewer of those, they can open fewer and fewer of those doors. So we have more and more conversations now, and it makes sense, of like, how do we fit around LeBron and AD, rather than that, well, you're the superstar and you need to you know, produce as, as such type of thing. Um, and so, which isn't to say that they haven't produced as such, right? It's just that the versatility in their games i do think is different though totally and this is where it's just like when you're talking about
2: having to do something completely different in the playoffs to account for vanderbilt i think that that's probably a step farther than i'm willing to go i think his role would need to be scaled back Mm -hmm. i i also think though that you plant those seeds early by him being a player who isn't the guy who's playing eight to ten minutes to start a game. And to, to start each half, I think he should be in that five to seven minute
1: range where he's one of the first subs out. Yep. And so for clarity's sake, what are, we talk about him being quote, unquote, played off of the floor. What are the things that led to that in the playoffs? And are there potential resolutions to that that can be figured out over the course of the regular season? Well, I actually think part of the
2: reason why he got played off the floor had, I think, it's very easy to look at his offense. I also, but I think that it's because he had fewer and fewer natural defensive assignments for him to go out there and guard. To your right? Phoenix like,
1: point, right? Like if we played yeah. Phoenix in the playoffs and if they Dallas, and Durant. he'd be on Luca, right? Right. Like he'd defend Luca. He'd play twenty minutes a game just to play. That's right. Just
2: because you're not going to put Austin on him. For an extended stretch. You can't put Rui on him. You can't put Dilo on him. So what are your solutions then at that point? Right? Like, oh, Torian Prince, you get to go guard Luka Doncic for, right? It's just like, hey, look, I'm all for Max Christie getting some run. And maybe skinny Luka has lost a little bit of that strength. But you were lamenting <laughs> Max yeah. Christie having 20-year-old strength mm. when he needs 23 or 24-year-old strength. That's Luka right. Doncic, <laughs> he got some of that I don't want to call him that radar test strength because no one had that radar no, test no, no. strength, right? No, no, no. he's going to put but, a body on Max, yeah. But you know what I mean, right? It's yep. just like that natural sort of like, I bump you when you move. Luka's got that in him. Jokic does too. It's why like even skinny Jokic, it's just like he's still knocking dudes backwards just because mm-hmm. he understands the leverage game. But I digress. Yeah, Max Christie, a potential solution. I love it. I'm all for Max getting more playing time. When I look at Vando, though, I still look at a guy who's just like, okay, well, if you have his spot in the lineup is guaranteed by his defense, not because suddenly he's going to be able to do more offensively. Being able to do more offensively is nice for him. Right. And ultimately, if he can do more offensively, it will facilitate him being able to play in more minutes when he doesn't necessarily
1: have a defensive assignment. There are a few things of which this is one of them that I wouldn't characterize as like, oh, it's likely Vando's going to come back with a jump shot, right? I'm not saying that it's going to happen, but there are like five or six things that if it does, that has a chance of happening, right? That if it does, we are in business and Vando being able to just have a job to do offensively and be able to not kind of gunk up the works is is right at the top of that. Look, man, like one of the reasons
2: why I want Anthony Davis to shoot more jumpers or LeBron James to make... More jumpers is because you can then put those guys in off ball positions mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. they are finishers offensively, but from the jump shot spot. You talked about how the team didn't have enough time together after the trade deadline to really like build the foundation. They made great strides in that direction, but they didn't work out options X, Y, and Z. They, they got just to didn't e, have the T and F. That's right? right. It's like there's whole there's a whole nother half, half an alphabet of learning to do for this group. One of the reasons, though, that AD the jump shooter or LeBron the jump shooter can matter to Vando is that Vando could be put in more screen yep. situations where he is the screener rather than him being the spot up option. Like that was basically off of the table during the playoffs because – You needed AD in screens and you needed LeBron in screens. Now, mind you, I just wanna make this point clear. I'm not talking about Jared Vanderbilt replacing Anthony Davis and LeBron James as the primary screener within the Lakers offensive sets. I'm talking about them finding more of a mix in between who their screeners are and giving other players opportunities to set screens and be in a position where they could then make plays and getting downhill. And this is a bigger discussion that I'd love to have one day just on basketball philosophy and coaching and how you get the most out out of players. But one of the things that can happen to players like Vanderbilt is that they get told at some point, yeah, so we're going to take this off of your plate offensively because we want you to focus on X and we're going to take this off of your plate offensively because we want you to focus on Y. And then suddenly... Now those things are off of your plate, and if you're ever put in a position where you're asked to do those those things, your brain has been rewired to tell you you shouldn't be doing those things. Well, and you don't as have much the reps. anymore. You don't have yes. the reps in real game action, too. Right. And so I'd love to see in the vein of the idea that you presented of figuring things out and learning each other and doing things and fu- and. And just practicing all of these different things. I'd love to see Vanderbilt get more reps as a screener. I'd love to see him work in short roll situations with the Lakers' skill guards where guys are going to have to go over the top. I'd love to drill it in Vando's head. That's just like, look, you're getting downhill to finish. Not to pass, but to Mm -hmm. finish. Because Uh there's a certain part of his brain that naturally comes to him where he's like, I'm a passer. I'm a passer. Yep. I've been told I'm not an offensive guy. I'm not a scorer. And I think it, it it plays to his idea of being like this unselfish guy where he's a part of the team, right? So I'm not saying this is coaching. I'm saying it's, it's like his, his, it's his natural state to a certain extent as well. But I just love to see him utilize more and given more to do than just stand in the corner and set flare screens every now and then. Because I think to your point about getting played off of the floor, a part of that is because guys don't have to guard him. And so if he's going to be putting screen actions, guess what? Screen, pop, flow, handoff, come off again, pocket pass, whip, cross court, skip. He's got this stuff in his game, but that's not what the Lakers are doing. They're telling him, go stand over there and try not to gum up the spacing. Too much. And maybe in the playoffs, that happens again, right? It's like ultimately other teams have coaches too. Other teams are going to take stuff away. But I don't think it's this irreparable bridge that can't be built between a regular season version of him and a postseason version of him that can really help the Lakers.
1: Big season for Vando, for himself, and for the Lakers, right? He's a free agent this upcoming offseason. And I think that what direction he goes in is really going to have an effect on where this, this team goes. All right, this was fun. We will be back. We need to talk, uh, I think, a little more about the stars. So I th- let's talk about uh, LeBron and AD in the next one. Uh, but until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time.
2: James has got it in low to Mikhail. Mikhail wants to turn
0: double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's
2: Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's yeah,
0: He's next to the It's on the way. side. Toby Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Frack with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in, right, in, in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Toby Believe, Are you kidding me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, Two one. Miss it! Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's over. And shot out of five. Oh, yeah. Bryant. Yeah!